Let us pray. Gracious God, among us, come among us and startle us with your care and concern, with your challenge and conviction. Enable us to hear your word today in a way that will change us for the better. Amen. The scripture lesson today comes from the first chapter of the letter of Colossians, verses 15 to 20. Here is the word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things on, in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or do, rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything, for in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, on Wednesday of this week, I received a phone call from Agnes Norfleet. Now, many of you know her. She was the pastor of this church for seven years, from 2005 until 2013. I picked up the phone and she said, Jenny, I told a story about you in my sermon on Sunday, and you're never going to believe what happened. Now, these are words that make my heart start working overtime. <laughs> What story, exactly? I tell a lot of them, some are better than others. And what happened? Am I sorry or are you welcome? <laughs> well, it just so happens that Agnes and Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church are also thinking about creation care in worship. Neither of us had any idea about such synchronicity. And it turns out that she had referenced a column I wrote in the Presbyterian Outlook a column in which I mentioned a friend of mine who a few months ago posted a picture of dental floss she bought. It was floss made of biodegradable material and housed in a small refillable glass vial. It was one of, uh, she is very earth aware, and so it was one in a series of photos about her attempts to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And so I confessed in this column that my immediate response was to think about how I don't even floss my teeth enough with regular floss, never mind earth-friendly floss. I was intrigued, though, and so in my attempts to learn more, I fell all the way down an internet rabbit hole trying to weigh the pros and cons of the dental floss situation. 
After all, if such floss is not available locally, well, then it has to be shipped to me. And I don't know, does the energy and fuel required by delivering it straight to my door negate the goodness of that floss in the first place? Apparently, my publicly working out my existential uncertainty was good for a laugh in Philadelphia. <laughs> but this is the reason Agnes was calling me. She received a package in her office Wednesday morning, and inside there was a note and a padded envelope that said Jenny on it. Her church member said, enclosed is floss that is earth friendly. Please send it to Jenny. <laughs> so somehow now, I am awaiting a package from a stranger in Philadelphia who wanted to help assure that at least some of my confusion could be resolved. It is a small world if we needed to be reminded of that. Even when it seems like nothing could be further from the truth, we are very connected to one another. And it's not true just for humans, it's true for the entire created order. People, plants, animals, insects, we all come from the same creator. We are all born out of the same motivation. Theologian Elizabeth Johnson, she puts it this way. She says, to put it in dramatically simple terms, human beings and other species on earth have more in common than they have separating them. This does not mean they are all the same, of course they are not. But in their beautiful, terrible, fragile, and vulnerable lives, they all share the fundamental identity of being creatures come from the same generous God. And that is part of the reason that she argues for dismissing the word nature in favor of creation. Creation, she points out, is a word that is rooted in relationship. Relationship with a God whose love is beyond imagining. So I think this is where faith provides a unique and essential element to this whole idea of caring for the earth around us that goes beyond the scientific. Now note, I did not say in place of the scientific. I said beyond. That means taking all that science has taught us and told us about climate and creation, taking that as true, but also not stopping there. Stephen Charlson is an Episcopal theologian. He writes, we can tell people how fast the polar ice caps are melting. We can tell them how many bird species are disappearing and how toxic the water is becoming. In a sense, we can try to heal them by telling them how sick they are. But that creates denial and guilt. It does not create transformation. Statistics may present a valid picture of reality, he says, but they are not convincing enough arguments to overcome denial. For that, we need another approach. And a climate journalist, Eric Hothaus, 
He's a bit more direct. He says, if you're trying to motivate people, scaring them to death is a bad strategy. The best approach, the best strategy, at least for people of faith, comes from fidelity to scripture. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The letter to the Colossians reads, in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That whole passage, the longer section that Trish read for us, it's known in scholarly circles as the Christ hymn, words that were likely used as liturgy in some of the earliest moments of Christian worship. And in it, Jesus is both the subject of creation and he is the cosmic reconciler through whom Jesus restores harmony between God and every bit of creation. I think it is true that in every question of faith, including the question of creation care, love is always a better strategy than fear. Last week I mentioned that there are any number of reasons that Christians have become so deeply divided about ecology and conservation and climate. One of those reasons that tends to surface more loudly than some others is rooted in the belief of a cataclysmic second coming of Christ. And that will be good news for a select few and bad news for the vast majority. It's a left-behind sort of theology, a theology that is outside the belief system of this church and our denomination. That theological belief, though, states that some are in and some are out, and those who are in will be whisked away to heaven while the rest are left on earth, and that earth will become increasingly less desirable as everything dissolves into ruin. So if your theology hinges on being removed from creation, well, you don't need to be particularly concerned about creation, especially if you conclude that God is ultimately going to destroy whatever is left. This way of thinking, it turns God's loving redemption into some sort of cruel game something conditional and limited. It defines God by fear rather than by love. Patricia Tull says in her book, Inhabiting Eden, it represents a human self-centeredness that has taken the rest of the earth for granted. But she says, scripture tells us a different story one in which human culture finds itself embedded within and dependent upon a larger cosmos that invites our respect and gratitude. Now, in addition to human self-centeredness, 
This theological persuasion purports to believe in a God who is all-powerful, but then that which is used to extol God's power ends up limiting it because it puts a condition on God. It says that God's mercy is dependent upon human will and decision. It says that God's mercy will not have its own way in this world, that it must submit to a humanity prone to failure and fragility. And that is in direct contradiction to the God revealed in scripture from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. John Muir, 19th century American naturalist, he tells the story of hiking in the Yosemite wilderness and coming upon a dead bear. He stopped, he says, to reflect upon the creature's dignity. Here was an animal with warm blood and a heart that pumped like ours, who rejoiced to feel the warm sun on his fur, for whom a good day was finding a bush filled with berries. Later, he wrote a bitter entry in his journal, criticizing all of the religious folk that he knew who made no room in their faith for such creatures. They think they are the only ones with souls, he complained, the only ones for whom heaven is reserved. To the contrary, he wrote, God's charity certainly is broad enough for bears. The naturalist offered his own way of expressing a deep theological truth, that all creatures are the recipients of of divine love, that all of creation is the recipient of divine love. And that love is not generic. It is love that contains redeeming care for each and every particular creature because their origin is from God. They are cared for by God and they will be redeemed by God. That is why I am 100% serious when I say that it is with theological truth, not sentimental or wishful thinking, that has led me to proclaim multiple times that yes, all dogs go to heaven. When it comes to creation care, fear is a flawed motivator. And fear is a flawed motivator for faith too. Because in both instances, we as Christians raise our voices to sing of a God of enormous and overwhelming and unmerited and unconditional love. A love that is poured out for the flourishing of all creation. When we order our lives around this understanding of God's mercy, we cannot deny the ties that bind. In our Lord Jesus Christ, all things hold together. All things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, people and penguins, trees and tide pools, opossums and the ozone, beetles and the very beating heart of God. We have been reciting the facts of a creation in crisis for longer than I have been alive. But it is a central tenet of our faith 
that where facts and fear falter, love will always break through. So may the goodness of God's love compel us to care for God's good creation. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.